0: Thanks for downloading Cross Defense. This is your host, Pastor Brian Wolfman. Today, Pastor Flammy joins me to talk about truth. What is it? What are the different theories of it? How does the Christian have insight into truth that is more profound than any philosopher? From the Lord's Word, the truth that not only condemns us, but also brings us to life eternal. Pilate said to Jesus, what is truth? We answer the question today. Thanks for being a podcast listener. Here's the show. Alright, welcome to Cross Defense. God be praised. Thanks for joining me. I'm Pastor Brian Wolfman, the pastor of St. Paul Lutheran Church and Jesus stuff Lutheran Church in Austin, Texas, and your host and companion in conversation for the next hour here on Cross Defense, where we take up curious theological topics in the hope of beating back the devil who loves to take our imagination captive. We want our imaginations captive to the Word of God, and to help with that, we've got Pastor Fl- the Flammy. On the line. He's uh, joining us for a series we're doing on apologetic topics. Pastor Flammy, how are you? Hey, I'm doing pretty good. And you? Great. Pastor Flammy is pastor of Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Roswell, New Mexico, author of Apologetic Opportunism, a nice STM thesis. It's fantastic. And he is joining me to talk about the topic of truth today. Now, there's this famous exchange between Jesus and Pilate. And Pilate famously asked Jesus, "What is truth?" And that's often embraced as the as the fight that we are having in our own day about the about what truth is. But Pastor Flamy is going to take us back and look at the various different ways to even think about truth, and what does postmodernism have to do with it? And what do the scriptures say about truth? And how do we how do we talk to people who are engaged with or who have who, who, whose imaginations are captured with a totally different idea of truth? We hear this so often. Oh, that's that's your truth. This is my truth. Can how how can we have how can you even enter into a conversation if people are saying something like that? So that's the idea, Pastor Flammy. I'm glad you put together these notes. As you said yourself, they are exceptional. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, that's
0: right. On if the I idea, idea of truth, <laughs>
1: Even though I could, I'm pretty sure that before the theme music started up, I heard you say this is a mistake. So I don't know if I I, I believe you. Oh wow, you. wow, <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Uh, what, I so I I suppose the question is, what is a mistake? My notes or something else? Yep.
0: I think I think Stephanie said I've got Pastor Flammy on the line, and I said that's a huge mistake. That's just a... <laughs> <laughs> okay. Great. <laughs> Three theories of truth. Oh, man. Three theories of truth. Correspondence, coherence, and pragmatic. So what are these? I mean, get us into the language that we need to even think about this question.
1: All right. So we are modern persons living in a modern time. And uh, the, the language that is used to speak about truth nowadays is of fairly recent origin. Uh, so uh, uh, people will talk about G.E. Moore or Bertrand Russell and how they helped develop in the mid or, or the uh, early point of the 20th century a theory of truth. And uh, truth, they, as they tried to articulate it it, 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 it corresponds or it ought to correspond uh, to the various state of affairs that we can observe and uh, experience in the world outside of ourselves. And so that's what we call the very first theory of truth, a correspondence theory of truth. And if I may say so, perhaps I'm wrong about this, I think this is most people's common sense understanding of what truth is. I assert something like the sky is blue, right? And then I can actually go outside, look up, and see that, in fact, the state of affairs makes it such that the sky is blue and I spoke truth, as opposed to falsehood, which would be something like, the sky is magenta, or something like that. <laughs> aquamarine. Uh, okay, aquamarine. Right. Uh, <laughs> so uh, and so, like I said, this is I think the common sense idea of what truth is, and it corresponds with what modern philosophers sometimes call today a realist ontology. Or uh, uh, and what does that mean? Um, it means that. <laughs> That there is some kind of reality that is objective uh, that we all participate in, and uh, when I make claims, truth claims, that let's say the sky is blue or whatever, then I'm making a, a claim about that objective reality against which I can test the claims. Uh, now you could probably, from from the very beginning, start saying, well. How do you know that my experience of the real is the same as your experience of the real? How could I be sure that I could even get beyond uh, uh, you know, the, my, my own experience to have any sort of certainty of, of your experience of this thing? Well, I, I don't want to go down those roads. That's kind of a discussion, perhaps, for another time. Um, instead, instead, I'll just say that there's a second theory of truth that has been put forward uh, by others, And uh, they, instead of saying that uh, truth is that which corresponds to a set of affairs in the world, they say that, no, the truth isn't, isn't, uh, uh, isn't multi, it's not, uh, how do we say this? (laughs) It's not like there are a bunch of truths out there. In fact, an infinite number of truths because you could make uh, potentially an infinite number of statements concerning the state of affairs of the world. Rather, rather, the truth is this is kind of Zen too? The truth is one. The truth is whole. And instead of speaking about truth as is that which uh, uh, conforms to reality, they'll speak of truth as is making a statement that is in conformity uh, with all the with the, the greater sense of truth or wholeness that is out there in the world. Um, hmm. Now this is like I, I I think it's not quite as intuitive. Now I'm going to try to find a good definition of the coherence theory of truth here. Ah, here it is. Here's something I found. A belief is true if and only if it is part of a coherent system of beliefs. So you could think of your, your beliefs as like a web, uh, and, uh, and, and every belief is a, is a part of that web. And if, uh, uh, if one of your beliefs is uh, uh, not in concert with that web, uh, then you could say that potentially that, that belief is, is false and not true. Now, mm-hmm. uh, just to, to put it out there, you can tell me what you think about this. Uh, as soon as Jesus says to the disciples before his meeting with Pilate, uh, before his meeting with Pilate on Good Friday, on Monday, Thursday night, as he's preaching to the disciples one last time, he says, I am the way, the truth and the life. And there, Jesus says that the truth is, isn't so much a particular statement about a state of affairs in the world or reality. The truth is, in fact, as Jesus reveals, a person, which is fascinating. And, and, and that would, I think, kind of open up our understanding to entertain the possibility that instead of thinking of, of truth as just an infinite number of ways to describe the so-called reality, maybe truth is, in fact, uh, could be could be spoken of as one thing, and Christ has said that one thing is me, which is interesting. So I, I don't think that necessarily, if you're Christian, you you have to be a correspondence theory. You could probably also talk about a coherence theory, and, uh, and get a little play out of that. So, like for instance, one of the famous uh, uh, Lutheran slash Christian apologists, philosophers, theologians of the 20th century was Wolfhart. I'm sorry, I have to get his name right. (laughs) Yeah, Wolfhart Pannenberg. You remember Pannenberg?
0: I remember you talking about Pannenberg.
1: Yeah, I can't remember everything I ever said about Pannenberg. But one of the nice things that I do remember is that he held to a a coherent theory of truth. And, of course, the reason why he did that was because he's German, (laughs) which means he comes from an idealist background. Uh, He doesn't... Uh, he doesn't understand this hard distinction between the South and the outside world in the same terms that you and I might. Instead, because he's pot, uh, post uh, uh, Immanuel Kant in, in uh, philosophical uh, 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 Europe, uh, he sees that, well, perhaps our perceptions of the world are a part of the world, and uh, it's not so clean a break, right? And so instead of talking about a reality that's out there, uh, he likes to talk about uh, how Christian beliefs, uh, play an intricate part of all the other true beliefs that we have, and so he prefers to talk about it as that kind of web or a system that all fits together, that's focused on Christ.
0: Okay, hold on, uh, so let, hold so, on for a second. Let me check, so see if I can yes, get this. Sir. So so the two things, the two th- of the three theories of truth we're going to talk about, we have so far the correspondence ter- theory of truth and the coherence theory of truth. Correspondence ideas basically says the true is the assertion that agrees with reality, something like that. Yeah uh mm-hmm. and so there's a there's, so that there's a fundamental connection between what is and what is understood to be or what is asserted to be and that, that, that when you have a correlation between the two when there, there's a correspondence between the two then the thing that's being st- said is true the coherence theory of truth is going to say there's th- there's a a central assertion a central claim that is that is that corresponds to reality and then all the the truth is going to kind of hang off of that central claim of reality that's the correspondence that's the coherence theory and and so that rather than than an assertion being related to what is true uh, the assertion is related to the other truths and that is what makes it true yeah yeah
1: i mean i'm not getting that perfectly correct i'm i'm more of a the first kind of theory of truth guy, you know. I've always thought yeah, about yeah, it in terms of correspondence, and I'm doing my best to understand it in terms of coherence. And to be honest, that was one of the challenges for me when reading Wolfhart Pannenberg.
0: Uh, well, that so that I,
1: he, uh, yeah,
0: it seems like so. You got to get a guy like Pannenberg who could say, "Well, we want to have this core spirit, coherence theory of truth, but be Christian with it." But it seems like that most people who would talk about a coherent theory of truth that would be that would be weaponized pretty quickly against the christian faith seems to me like that would be one of the, the one of the things that we face up with when when pe- with this kind of relativism where you say, well that's you know that what that is something can be true for you or or true for me but not true that that, that there's not a true truth available to us is that is that true? Is that, is that, is that, would the coherence theory talk like that? Is that what we're listening I to?
1: I don't think so. Remember that Wolfhard Ponenberg was an apologist. Uh, his whole theological project, his whole systematic theology, was a grand apologetic for the resurrection. And he wanted to show how Christian claims were, in fact, the central claims upon which all the other claims are built. I mean, if, in some ways, you could even think of the presuppositionalist apologetic crowd as being amenable to this idea as truth as coherence to the central claim right for them that's the sovereignty of God and unless what you uh, say or argue stands uh, in, in, in you know in the progression of arguments upon the sovereignty of God then you're arguing illegitimately and at least uh, 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 and at least if you don't even understand it yourself you're arguing against your own premises that it takes to if- to assert your anti-God claim.
0: Give us the thumbnail sketch of presuppositional apologetics.
1: Okay, presuppositional apologetics uh, it, it, it is basically a transcendental way of arguing. And uh, so the, 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 the way we might think about this is that uh, suppose you, you meet someone on the street, and uh, uh, it, it's a militant atheist. And he sees that you have, like, the Holy Spirit in the glint of your eye. He wants to convince you that there is no God, right? And he gives you five or six rational so-called arguments against the existence of God, like we talked about earlier in earlier programs, pain and suffering in the world. Uh, Perhaps uh, I don't see any visible evidence of God. He's not something I could see or measure touch or taste. Therefore, uh, uh, why should I uh, be justified in claiming that there is a God? I mean, you could come up with all kinds of arguments. Well, a transcendental argument would probably try to to say to this guy, look, you're using language. Look, you're breathing air that's been provided for you so you could wag your tongue and say the things that you're saying. And so what you would try to do is to articulate this this counter-argument that we couldn't even be having this conversation. We couldn't even be using the rules of logic. Uh, you couldn't live from one moment to the next unless you uh, accept the premise that there is a God, and he has created this world and sustains this world. And then you could go out from there to articulate other kinds of Christian claims, but the transcendental argument uh, tries to get behind the argument of the opponent, not by answering the argument directly, but by saying that the very argument of the, of the opponent itself would be impossible unless he accepted the central cru- uh, uh, truth claims of christianity uh, hmm. uh one of which being that there is a god and he is sovereign if you're like the reformed presuppositionalists
0: all right let's put uh let's see how we're doing here we got 3 minutes oof oh, blast we got a third all right Pastor Flammy, 2 minutes for this the third theory of truth the pragmatic theory then we'll fill up our bucket of the these definitions and and press forward after that so what is that what's that theory of well, truth <laughs> Well, the American philosophers uh, uh, articulated this one.
1: I, I have a hard time with it, and so I'm, I'm going to do my best uh, uh, to, to repeat some of what the other philosophers had said about this. Uh, so Pierce is an American pragmatist. He said, truth is the end of inquiry. Bam! So you do inquiry, and what you arrive at, that is the truth. <laughs> and, then, and then there's also this apparent claim that's out there that truth, is satisfactory to believe. What? So look, this is the point. Uh, it, let's not worry about an outside world that we could uh, argue about whether it exists or not, or if our, independent, if our experience is all that distinct from it. Uh, instead, let's just talk about truth in terms of what works. Uh, let's talk about uh, truth in terms of that which, which corresponds to our everyday experience and helps us to get by and okay. what's great about this theory of truth is it in fact helps to explain kind of the american spirit that we find so prevalent around us today especially as pastors and as christians as we interact with folks of the world uh how often do we hear well it's true because it works for me i mean <laughs> we hear that pretty often and and and, and, and so the you know, truth isn't measured against a, a reality truth is measured against expedience right or utility it's fascinating
0: Ah, that is. Okay. So we got correspondence, coherence, and pragmatism. We're going to throw postmodernity into the mix and see what comes out. You're listening to Cross Defense. I'm Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, pastor of St. Paul and Jesus Deaf Lutheran Church in Austin, Texas. This is pastor Flammy, uh, is with me today from Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Roswell, New Mexico. Stay tuned through the break. It'll be a short one and we'll be right back talking about the problem or the opportunity of truth. We'll be right back.
1: Ecclesiastes 10 verse 10 states, If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. Find this true wisdom in Christ on sharper iron every weekday morning at 8 a.m. here on Worldwide KFUO. Sharpen the iron of your faith together with two pastors as they take up the sword of the Spirit to proclaim the gifts of Christ crucified and risen
0: for you. The story of Worldwide KFUO is a tale of technology. Radio was new in 1924 when KFUO was born to serve Christ the Savior. Now, KFUO is still finding new broadcast technologies so we can spread the gospel to the world via the web, smartphones, tablets, and new intelligent speaker devices. And when the next big thing is unveiled, we'll be there too. Broadcasting the good news at the forefront of technology, we are Worldwide KFUO. Did you know that your individual retirement account may make the best gift to KFUO? The IRS now allows individuals 70 and a half or older to transfer their required minimum distribution directly to charity and avoid paying the associated income tax. These gifts can provide regular long-term resources to KFUO. If you have questions about making an IRA gift to KFUO, call me, Mary, at 314-996-1518 We'll send a representative out to help answer your questions and help you establish a legacy of giving to your favorite radio station, Worldwide KFUO. You hear our voices every day as we speak the gospel, share the latest news, or for insightful and sometimes entertaining talk. Why not share your voice with us and send us your feedback, suggestions, and questions? Leave your comment at 314-996-1542. Be sure to follow us on social media, too, so you can like, comment, and share your favorite posts. Drop an email to KFUO at KFUO.org or send a snail mail letter to Worldwide KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. All right, welcome back. Hey, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, you're listening to Cross the Fence. Pastor Flam and I are talking about truth, and we talked about the three theories of truth. Correspondence, that means things that are Re- uh, correspond to the things that are said the coherence theory which means the truths correspond to each other the pragmat theory which means the truth corresponds to whatever is successful and, and, and I want to know how these three theories or which ones relate to post-modernity we often hear this kind of lazy definition of post-modernity which means truth which is something like truth is relative is that a good definition or what what do we h- how do we connect post-modernity with the ideas of truth, Pastor Flaming.
1: Okay, so the question of truth is a deeply modern question. From the time of the Enlightenment... Why is that? Why do you think that is? (laughs) Why? Because because the old authorities of tradition and the Holy Scriptures have been thrown aside, and uh, and now the discerner of truth and the one who has the capacity to reach out to grasp it is, is uh, you, the enlightened man, uh, the man who is unencumbered by the voices of others, but now he could let his own reason reign supreme, right? And what is the project of reason? So, uh, presumably, at, at, at some point, to arrive at some kind of certainty or truth. And so, like I said, truth is a deeply modern question. It, it is absolutely not surprising at all, that the moderns would talk about the nature of truth and argue about different definitions of, of how we might be able to articulate what exactly is truth. However, what happens is that despite the different theories of truth and despite the intensity of philosophical and scientific inquiry, oftentimes, oftentimes man, instead of finding his reason as this, as this infinite capacity to arrive at certainty and truth, is in fact the opposite. He stumbles into error after error after error. And, and besides that, his own experience of the world is often contradicted by the lived out experience of other people out there. And so one of the ways I like to think about postmodernity is a kind of throwing up of the hands and saying, why, why am I doing this? What, is truth really the thing that is to be sought after and arrived at? Is reason really the means by, that I have to employ to do it? So in in some ways, postmodernity isn't really a philosophy like the modern philosophies that uh, the theories of modern philosophy that we had been talking about. Rather, it's a kind of, I I suppose, a critique over and against it, the whole project of it. Uh, Postmodernism comes out of literary theory; it comes out of uh, the critique of various kinds of uh, of language and 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 the critique of various kinds of uh, words of. Uh, propaganda and power that people use against one another. And so now truth is, is perhaps just a bludgeon in the hands of a particular group of people that they use to, to make other groups of people who are different from them submit. <laughs> uh-huh. and, so, and so we have the shift away from certainty, objectivity, and truth to now interplays of power and uses and abuses of language to uh, exercise your dominance over others. Uh, we see the genesis, I think, of postmodernity oftentimes in the language of political philosophers such as Marx, uh, uh, who, who brings uh, the power out to the, uh, to the forefront of people's uh, uh, minds and, and it helps them to understand their, their, their political life and their, and their uh, you know, social life in terms of a struggle of power. Uh, post-modernity likes that. Why? Because it sets them over, it kind of lets them rise above these questions about certainty, truth, and scientific exactness to now speak of, well, in the world we find not just the Western project of enlightenment, we also find in, oh, a seemingly infinite number of different people and different ways of thinking, different ways of life, and instead of, you know, finding everybody united in a common cause for truth, we see people uh, uh, you know, waging war against one another, committing violence mm-hmm. against one another uh, in order to subjugate the other.
0: So so it's post-modernity, so it is post-modernity. is like identity, you go to your Thanksgiving dinner, and, like, yeah. everybody's talking to everybody, and you're trying to listen to uh-huh. one person, trying to listen to someone else, trying to, and then finally you just go off into the corner with your beer and sit by yourself and say, forget it.
1: Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Instead of engaging in the hard work of discerning between... Uh, who might be right or wrong in the argument? You say, "Well, is there a right or wrong to begin with?" Right, and you detach yourself from the whole conflict, and now you're, you, you start to say, "Well, maybe they're not even concerned about what they're arguing about. Uncle Bob only cares about being right, and proving my my sister Sue that she's wrong." <laughs> you know, uh, uh, so uh, th- that's an aspect of it. Of course, I've got I've I i i have dabbled in, in reading about postmodernity. And so much of it just doesn't make sense to me, uh, because I think that maybe like you are, I'm, I'm pretty modern in the fact that I, I enjoy the scientific exploration of questions and problems. And like you, I, I think that there is a, a bedrock of truth and reality out there against, we should be, against which we should be measured. Now, I, you and I, we could always take that too far. And, and frame the whole way we see the world in, in these modern terms, which would be, in, in, in some ways, I think, law. Instead, we have to return to a Christian use of language uh, that, that rightly grasps the, the, the true reality of, of not the, uh, a neutered, objective thing that's outside of us, but a creation that was brought into being by God's omnipotent Word. Uh, but, I don't know, is there anything else that we wanted to say about... Uh, about uh, uh, post-modernity, oh yes, probably this. Uh, post-modernity also, uh, it, it, it lets us off the hook. So if I go to college and I'm struggling between these different philosophical theories as to epistemology, what, what, what is knowledge or what is out there ontology or even what is truth, uh, it gives me a lazy way out of engaging in these questions and, and just saying, well, it's all a power play anyway. Right. Uh, and it also lets me let go of the, the correspondence theories of truth that I might have been brought up with in school. That was how you're trained up in between grades like kindergarten and ninth grade. And now I might say to myself, well, in fact, what, what what's best to me right now is this more lived out experience definition of truth. Well, maybe what's what's truth is what uh, is, it just immediately corresponds with my, my own like vague recollections on the questions of life around me. or or maybe what corresponds to truth, or, or, or maybe what conforms to truth is, uh, uh, you know, what uh, uh, what seems to work and get by in my life. And for that reason, I think that when you and I we think of the, the uh, people who uh, struggle with what is true, uh, truth is relative, uh, truth is subjective. Like it just it, it's it's very it belongs to the individual and it belongs to the eye of the beholder. Uh, I, I, I think that, that what we're seeing there is a person who uh, just refuses to engage in the hard and difficult problems, and also they've come to live life in such a way that if, if I go to church on Sunday uh, and I play by the rules there, I stand up and sit down when I'm supposed to during the service, <laughs> when I open up to the right hymn and start singing the right hymns, when I say the right things in front of the pastor and the other Christians, I actually get by pretty well, and so I can live my life as a Christian there. But that doesn't necessarily mean that I could live that I live by those same rules elsewhere in my life, like my, the, when it comes to my video choices when I'm watching Netflix at night, or when it comes to my conversations with my semi-intellectual friends when I'm at uh, the bar having a beer, you know, or what it means when I'm at university and I'm taking a class on evolutionary biology. Uh, there I play, in all those different settings, I play by different rules because, uh, and, and truth just happens to conform to, you know what what the rules have to be to get by to get the a to be socially acceptable in those settings
0: hmm. Hmm. and the conscience comes in there too because if if uh... if the law comes to me convicting me of whatever of my activities or my actions or whatever i'm doing and that and it and the law comes and says you are really wrong because of what you said or because of what you did or because of what you failed to do i can One of the ways I can blunt that preaching of the law is saying, well, you know, who knows if that's really true. Maybe it was true for some people, but not for others. Uh, in fact, I had this conversation not that long ago where someone said, those laws were a long time ago. (laughs) In other words, they, they, they don't have an authority over me now. So I can, I can kind of, I can kind of undercut the preaching of the law by undercutting the stability of, of, of truth. Uh, The, the, I can, If I don't like the assertion, I can undo all assertions to get rid of that particular one that I don't like. Oh, that's
1: great. I'm glad that that guy said that to you. Look, the laws were like that a long time ago. What is he doing? He's contextualizing the truth that was asserted by the law at one point, right? But the point of the law, just like the point of anything else, should be experience or, I'm sorry, expedience or utility. And we can't expect the laws that worked 2,000 years ago to be the same laws that work for us today. Hey, even among us theologians, and and in our studies of the Lutheran Confessions, what is the most often uh, criticism leveled against those of us who hold to to the Confessions without any sort of uh, caveat, or any sort of, uh, uh, what do you call it? Exceptions
0: Uh, to the rules. You know what I'm talking about. The Quartanus
1: subscription to the Confessions. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. so th- they say, look, the confessions were ar- articulated and stated in a particular time, in a particular place, and uh, in- that history is not where we are right now. Therefore, these confessions are only a snapshot of the faithfulness of God's people in 1580, not necessarily in 2019. If you guys want to be faithful, the faithful community of God, you can't be stuck in the past. You have to articulate the truth as it is. For you right now, that's a very pragmatic way of seeing confessional truth, isn't it? And it also, like you, like you were trying to get at, it, it, it's, uh, uh, it helps to stay in the realm of postmodernity, where instead of uh, uh, engaging in the scientific project to find the one basic, concrete reality and truth that exists out there, now truth is more free-floating, and, and, and it belongs to the various groups of people, if not to the various individuals, to articulate that authentic truth for them. Hmm.
0: Authentic truth, as if truth needs, like as if there can be an inauthentic truth. But I think that's the thing you mentioned something earlier. This is really intriguing. Is that one of the things that postmodernity can do is it can look at truth, like they can look at some sort of objective, corresponding truth, and say, I don't like it. I don't. I don't like that particular truth. So I'm not going to act according to it. Like I mean, what you you could come up with just a lot of examples about that, but. Like, uh, uh, that 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 we can even uh, recognize some sort of a, objective truth, and and then t- and say, well, I don't. So the problem is not, that that it is true doesn't matter to me because I can so, I can see something that's actually better than truth. Yeah, yeah. I, I Think of an example, <laughs> but I think the, the example is like the all these guys that are playing in the women's rugby league. You know, I mean, this is an example of. Wait, wait, wait. Maybe this someone says, well, what's true is you're not a, a woman to play in the women's rugby league, but they say, well, that, that truth, I don't like that truth, so I'm going to go and play in the women's rugby league. You know, it's like uh, Yeah,
1: so, yeah, the touchstone for truth now is it's an objective reality that's articulated in a series of facts, which is the old scientific way of doing it. Now truth is almost aesthetic, a matter of taste. You know, <laughs> can I digest it, or can't I? <laughs> And more and more, especially in in the insanity of today's news cycle, uh, the the second way of articulating truth is is that which accords to my particular tastes or the tastes of my community, seems to be prevailing, for sure.
0: Hmm. Yeah, you see, you see that too. Where where you get these accusations, he said, she said, and someone said, well, she didn't. They didn't actually say that. And said, well, that doesn't matter because if they said it or not doesn't matter. It's still true. That there, that there's a truth. Why? Because I received it in a certain way.
1: Because I received it as an attack against me, or I thought they were saying this. That's what matters. Is what I thought they were saying, not actually what they said, right? So, what's emphasized? Tone and reception, (laughs) not the objective truth of what was being said out of that person's mouth. That's immaterial. All that matters is taste.
0: Now we now we we have something better. In fact, we maybe even have something better than the theories of truth. We have the scriptures which teach us truth. So let's let's start working through those those Bible passages which teach the Christian mind how to consider truth and we'll get, we'll get started. We'll have to go to a break in a few minutes here and then we'll we'll have one more segment to talk about in the end. So where would you go where would you go first to to start building the biblical argument uh, or picture of what's true?
1: To build the biblical, uh, yeah, so truth according to the Holy Scriptures uh, is a very forensic term. Uh, the, the biblical scholars are, in fact, agreed upon this, and I love that, uh, because truth originates now in the judgments of God, in <laughs> the assertions that God makes. And through his articulation, his word, and through that word uh, comes into being not a neutered scientific reality, but a creation. Uh, that, that is articulated by God, is sustained by that same living and powerful word. Uh, so we start, so we start from, from God himself, and from God comes the whole of creation and set in its boundaries by God's commands and his judgments and his righteous rules. And so I think that's where we should pick up, uh, and we will talk about that, especially in terms of uh, probably Psalm 1830, uh, where in Psalm 1830... Uh, See, I have to flip pages in my paper Bible, so I quote it exactly. Wow, that's
0: very antiquated, Pastor. Antiquated? This God, His way is perfect.
1: The Word of the Lord proves true. Hmm. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in Him. And so, uh, especially for the Christian, in both the Old and the New Testaments, uh, truth is that which is in conformity to God's Word that which lies apart from god's word it is just judgments and decrees that is falsehood and sin
0: hmm, hmm. Uh, just how me just, so start to sketch the contrast between like that and say some sort of scientific co- correspondence theory of truth huh? say say i'm just a I'm, a I'm just kind of your normal guy and i think well what's true mm-hmm. is the things that match up with reality how how would the what what the verse is saying there from the psalm how would that be different
1: The the psalm recognizes uh, what what, uh, uh, St. Paul asserts in Romans at the very beginning, where he says, look, uh, we could discern that there is a God. It is almighty attributes and and, uh, and his power and all these things. We we could discern that from creation. Uh, So when we speak of reality is that which has its genesis in God, then we speak according to uh, uh, the mind of the psalmist there, of, of David, But if we speak of reality as a neutered and a cut-off thing from the Word and the power and the attributes of God, then in fact that's this scientific thing that will give no uh, certainty or truth because it fails to take into account uh, the reason for its own existence. Uh, I'll try to explain that a little bit more, I, I, I think, when we come back.
0: Yeah, that's great. Well, let's go to the break now, and you'll be back on the other side to talk about the Christian understanding of truth with Pastor Brian Flammy and Pastor Brian Wolfmiller. You're listening to Cross the Fence. Stay tuned. We'll be right back.
1: This week on Issues Etc., we'll talk with former Planned Parenthood worker Abby Johnson about the opening of a mega-abortion clinic in the St. Louis Metro East. We'll have Pastor Brian Wolfmiller introduce us to the Book of John. We'll get a review of the movie Joker with Pastor Ted Geese. And we'll discuss the Lord's Supper with Pastor Peter Bender.
0: Issues Etc., live weekday afternoons from 3 to 5 on KFUO. All right, welcome back to CrossFits. I'm Pastor Brian Wolfmiller, Pastor Brian Flammy. We're talking about truth and the biblical picture of truth. Pastor Flamme read Psalm 18, verse 30. Would you want to give it to us again, Pastor Flammy, and, and and press us towards your idea of, of how a Christian ought to think about truth? Sure thing. So... <laughs>
1: Uh, so I flipped my Bible again, so now I have oh, to do the analog thing
0: of flipping my Bible. Back! You're going to have to, because th- I'm, I'm, I'm pressing on, you're, you're, you're teaching me here, and so you've got to kind of walk me through this carefully, because uh, I think this is going to yes. be really helpful, wh- the way you're headed. So.
1: Okay, so this is uh, what Psalm 1830 says. This God, His way is perfect. The Word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. Uh now you know, and as 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 just every Christian knows, the Hebrew word for for true, you know? Uh what is it? Amen. Amen. Yes, amen. And uh, uh and the variation of that of that word uh 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 the noun kind of form of that word is uh emeth, and that is truth. Uh and 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 here, uh, the, David the psalmist is saying that truth is that which comes from the Lord. Also, in Psalms, great—I'm sorry, in David's great uh, preaching of the Word of God and, uh, and and teaching and instruction concerning the Word. Psalm one hundred and nineteen, you get this at verse forty-three, and take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for my hope is in your rules. Right? So David's hope. Is that he could that that the way he abides in truth, the way he discerns truth, the way he discovers truth, is by in his mouth and in his heart and in his mind being conformed to that which God says. In Psalm 119, verse 160, there David says again, "The sum of Your word is truth, and every one of Your righteous rules endures forever." Now, before the break. You ask the question, what's, this, what's the big difference between the scientific reality uh, that the Enlightenment project of discerning truth and certainty was all about? And, and how is that different from what the Christians are talking about? And look, the, the big difference is this uh, to become, quote unquote, scientific in inquiry, uh, it, 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 it demands a kind of impossible objectivity and cutting off of all. Uh, your preconceived notions of what there is and what there should be, uh, so that the, the true scientist can't admit the possibility of God when he begins his inquiry of the objective outside world. I, as, a, a, and the scientist is so dedicated to naturalistic, materialistic explanations of the phenomenon that he discovers in creation. Uh, that he can't even, uh, he, he, later on down the road, it is during, down his line of inquiry, he can't even admit the possibility of divine interference in the material world. And history has borne that out. You have scientific explanations of even the things that happened in the Holy Scriptures, which is what we find being put forward by the so-called historical critical crowd. Instead of, this, instead of believing that the Scriptures are truthful, and that the Scriptures revealed how God speaks, creates, redeems, and sanctifies, now the scriptures have to be described scientifically, and materialistic mm. explanations have to be given for just about everything to make the scriptures not a divine book, not God's words which reveal and establish truth, but rather uh, uh, just human conjectures is either valid or, or false as, as the scientists own. Hmm. Right. And and, and so the so this idea of of science being able to discern and discover reality, for sure, it has some usefulness. (laughs) It can discern certain things about the about the world. Uh, But it is also no surprise to us as Christians that as much as the scientists press towards the truth, uh, yet yet one theory topples the next from one generation to the next. Right. That the truth that the scientists arrive at is always how shall we say this? Uh, it's always tentative. It's always conditional. It's never the bedrock of reality that they're all hoping it to be, which is part of how the, uh, uh, the, sci- the, the scientific and uh, objective search for, for truth uh, suddenly got, got uh, despised a little bit by the postmodern crowd because <clears throat> they legitimately ask of the scientists and uh, 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 the modern philosophers, well, what truth, capital T, can you actually give us? Uh, when have you been able to establish any of this, really? And, of course, they have to shrug their shoulders and, and just say, well, we're keep, we keep pressing. We're, we're still trying. <laughs> we're, we're coming to greater and greater levels of understanding, even if we haven't arrived at the bottom of things quite yet. Hmm. Look, th- what is better than that futile exercise of the human mind is beginning with the premise that God's Word establishes creation. And instead of the truth being a big question mark at the end of this impossibly long and seemingly endless line of inquiry, now the truth is given to me as a gift. The truth is given to me by grace. And that gives me such joy and freedom. And instead of having this potentially meaningless life set ahead of me, or perhaps left to the despair of trying to articulate meaning in my own life, right? Now meaning is given to me because God's Word speaks about me his word brings me into existence. He forms me in my mother's womb, as David again says, right? And his word does more than just create me and sustain me. It also redeems me. He forgives me all of my sins, all of the times that have set myself against God's righteous rules that set the earth in its proper place, <laughs> that, that separates the, the, you know, the water from the land, that separates right from wrong. Every time I transgress, uh, God's righteous rules uh, concerning my, my, my life, my fear, and my love, and my trust, then there is that word of forgiveness that imputes and, and gives us a gift Christ's righteousness and baptism. Um, not only that, 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 that saving word uh, it all, it continues to articulate the frame and gives shape to my Christian life at every moment that I live after my baptism, which is my life of sanctification. So the Christian, this is, I, I suppose, my big point. When it comes to questions of truth, Philosophically, I suppose you could play that game and try to articulate what truth is. But as long as you play the philosophical game by their terms, one of the things you'll always notice that is lacking is that God said this, therefore, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) The old philosophers Mm -hmm. used to do this. Men like Thomas Aquinas or even Augustine, uh, they'd had no problem engaging in philosophical questions of truth, but it was always, always, always on the foundation that God has said this. And therefore, whatever we say about the question of truth, if it's not in conformity with what God has already said in his word, then we have to consider it dubious or even uh, rebellious and sinful. Uh, today, that kind of warning is nowhere to be found. Instead, the philosophers uh, seek out truth, and if any time someone brings up, well, well God said, and maybe we have to start to define truth by what God says as opposed to what we say, the, you know, that person is thrown out as, as uh, not doing philosophy legitimately because they're admitting to uh, irrational premises. We haven't established God in our reason yet, and therefore we can't let him into the argument. Whereas God is, oh, is the opposite, you see. The Word is what sets the parameters of our, even our human lives and our human speech and how we speak about truth. And so God says, I am uh, the way, the, the truth, and the life through his Son. That's what he says. And as Christians... Therefore, instead of thinking of truth abstractly, we should always think of truth, first and foremost, as what God says, and especially what He says through the, His Son, the Word of God incarnate, when He comes to redeem us from sin, from death, and hell.
0: You said so much there that I want to kind of, I don't know even where to necessarily start pressing into it a little bit more, but, but it, it, so let me try this on, just as I'm thinking <laughs> through these things. It seems like the problem with, so so the the problem with the correspondence correspondence theory the coherence theory, the pragmatic theory, and even the post- modernity in some ways they're all right and they're but in some in one profound way they're all wrong they're wrong in that they start with man, and because of that, because they start with our own fallen mind they're all going to be incomplete so so that the truth of god's word it Truth corresponds to God's word. It all coheres together to the Word of Christ. It do- it is pragmatically the best because it is the Word that leads to eternal life and results in the new creation in the heaven and the earth. And the postmodern critique is right if they say, to, well, to say something true you have to know everything, so therefore you can say nothing true. And in some ways the critique is right, but we say, but we we have a truth that was spoken by the one who knows everything so that right so, so the that because we understand end, truth and meaningless to be and despair. right yeah yeah because the lord's word creates life uh is oh, oh boy so so that so that the christian says look we we have a god who speaks and therefore we not only have truth but we even have the capacity to know truth because god created us in his image to be able to to receive his truth in that profound way uh and that and so that the whole debate, in some ways, doesn't make sense to the Christian because we say we, we, the one, the one who says I am the way, the truth, and the life, said also, I died for you. Your sins are forgiven. You're my friend. This is a, right. He said in John chapter eight,
1: if you abide in my word, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Right. So there, the if you want to know what Jesus wants for you, wants from you concerning truth. It's that you abide in his word, right? So not only has God spoken creation into existence, he's also given you ears to hear and hearts to believe that word. Like you were saying, to to be able to receive that word. And not just in the same way as the rest of creation receives that word. A rock doesn't trust in Christ as its redeemer. You do, right? So the, the chicken doesn't have any sins to forgive. You do. And so when Jesus says, I forgive you, that word is now truth, and it sets you free completely, which is great that, that this word for truth in the Old Testament is oftentimes used in this kind of forensic sense. It, it talks about that which is revealed in the courtroom according to the, you know, the king's judgments, right? So when he establishes the facts of a case, which, uh, which is great because this goes along with our, uh, our conversations on suffering and uh, the necessity of understanding what's going on in, in the heavenly courtroom uh that heavenly courtroom the state of affairs of the heavenly courtroom the truth of it is accessible nowhere in nature or nowhere in reality uh, spoken of scientifically detached from the possibility of god no the truth of the heavenly courtroom that sets you free from sin and from the attacks of the devil and his accusations against your unrighteousness and his accusations that all of this thing is all meaningless reality existence whatever that's given to you through the pronouncement, your sins are forgiven you, right? And it's given to you uh, tangibly in the water of baptism, where God sets his creating and redeeming and sanctifying word on you in the sacrament there.
0: Hmm. <laughs> hey, all right, now I'm going to take, so we've got a couple minutes left to finish. What, uh, what do we do with the person that just says, hey, uh, you know, I, I don't go for much for this truth idea. Everyone's got their own truth. Just that kind of basic laziness. What how what would your approach be in that conversation?
1: Yeah, so uh, as a as a Christian in, in trying to speak, have a Christian conversation with someone, uh, we, we, uh, I, I would try to establish something that they have in common with you. <laughs> uh, so you you come from different backgrounds, different experiences, you've lived different lives, uh, but you both have uh, this mini courtroom of heaven in your hearts, which we call the the conscience, right? And, and, and even if this person holds to a kind of lazy, pragmatic theory of truth, the truth is whatever helps me to get by in whatever circumstance, yet the conscience continues its work almost ceaselessly of accusing and excusing. And, 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 so, and so there's some value, there's some help in speaking to that person about how, even though they think that different rules apply, different cases and different places in their lives, that even though they try to live the compartmentalized life where they have a little bit of religion over here, a little bit of science over there, a little bit of entertainment over here, yet their, their conscience uh, continues to be this sort of, this, this thing that, that makes judgments about everything that person does. And if you could help to draw the connection, the necessary connection between the judgments, the excuses and the, uh, and the accusations of the conscience with the law of God, His righteous rules, which set the standard of true righteousness, uh, 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 which the conscience left to its own devices can only dimly reflect, then they finally have that first foot on that that step of truth, right? And now you can start to, to flesh out what it means, right, that there is a God. And if there is a God, don't you think he wants to be your God? right? You can start to talk about the neighbor and the needs of the neighbor, and, and how it, it, instead of like the postmodern philosophers like to talk about the other as if it, your neighbor is somehow unknown to you. No, God's Word establishes your, the other as a neighbor to whom you owe love and compassion. It's better than all the other ethical, philosophical arguments out there. Uh, if you could, it, 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 but you also have to show them that this first step that they take upon God's law that helps to, to uh, uh, give light to the, the reality of the conscience and how the conscience should rightly accuse and excuse, that law is not going to save them, right? You, you have to be able to articulate the, the, the work of the law in terms of, in the end, uh, uh, killing the sinner so that Christ could do his work, not from the law, but from grace uh, uh, to, to forgive sins and to impute his righteousness, which they have to receive by faith. Uh, so, <laughs> I, I suppose you can. I, Pastor Fleming, I
0: got to stop you there because we're going to get the music. Oh. But this is fantastic. I mean, I want to go back and listen to your answer again. This is so. Yeah. It was, the Lord is interested in us knowing things that are true because He wants us to know the truth of our sin, and most importantly, the truth of His love for us in Christ. The gospel is an assertion, and the forgiveness of sins—that promise that Jesus has for us—that's true. Hey, thanks for listening to Cross the Fence. I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolfman, the Pastor Flammy. Always great to have you on. We'll be back next week talking about some more tough questions and glorious answers from the Lord's Word. God's peace be with you. Cross Defense is a production of KFUO Radio. Find past episodes and support Cross Defense at KFUO.org. Thanks again for listening to the podcast, Cross Defense. I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. I think I am going to go back and listen to this episode again to get what Pastor Flammy was saying. He had some incredible things to say, not only about the different theories of truth, but also about about how the Christian can understand truth in a more profound and insightful and helpful way than any philosopher could possibly offer us, and that we have that to offer also to our friends. I hope you enjoyed the show, and if you found it helpful, or you know people who you think would be encouraged by it, I'd encourage you to pass it on. You can rank the show, leave feedbacks and things like this on all the places where you get podcasts. I'd appreciate that as well. That helps other other people find us. Thanks again. We'll talk to you next week. God's peace be with you.